Welcome to The Young and the Weary, the podcast where we explore life and comedy through the eyes of me, Jeremy Pinsley, a 32-year-old stand-up comedian from Nashville, Tennessee, and Dev Rogers, an 88-year-old comedic actress living here in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. That's it, said 88 years old. Oh, it's bagel time. Oy vey. Oy vey. <laughs> it's bagel time. How are you, Duff? I've come up with a new answer, which sounds like the old answer. Um, Managing. (laughs) Functional, managing. Functional and managing. And humor is a salvage for the dulling of the developed (laughs) Are you passing out as we're talking right now? Are you going to make it? (laughs) The the dulling of of the aging dream. Brain, brain <laughs> needs help. Well, we're here to help you. That's, uh, you look like you need help drastically. I, I do. I yes, I agree with that. Well, we got coffee, bagels, and comedy—three of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you? I heard you took a singing lesson yesterday. Is that true? Well, she had to cancel because her father was sick, but I took her a couple weeks before. I'm developing with a song called. Uh, Oh my God! If I can remember that song. Um, luckily, I'm married to a man whose mind is not impaired. And <laughs> well, how about this? How about instead of remembering the name of the song, you just sing us that bad boy? You got any of that in you? Um, um, don't you think you need to re- remember the name in order to remember the substance? <laughs> oh, well, I, th- I kind of assumed that the singing part was ingrained in you. Can you sing us something? I if I get a something. How about Mary had a little lamb? Uh, Mary had. A- <laughs> I want you to sing it, Dev. <laughs> Show us why you're paying for those lessons. Mary had had a lamb, and the lamb got sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right. Well, I'm going to get you to sing something at some point because uh, uh, I appreciate that because I'm obviously in need of serious rescue. Yes. Well, and humor can do it, but human beings starts with an H U M help you out of your morass of your developed and sinking life. Wow, wasn't that a great summary? Yeah, you came. You looked like you were falling asleep, and then you came back with some profound statement. The only it's thing that deep. salvages a life is humor and profundity, uh, and people. That's true. Well, speaking of people, we're lucky today, Dev. We got we got more people coming yeah. here. Oh, wow. we got a special guest. It's a special guest day. Woo! Uh, is any of us here special guests? No, we're here all the time, so we're not special anymore. I'm special. Jody's special. So, guys, today I would like to introduce our beautiful and amazing guest, Jody Lieberman. <laughs> Is with us. Jody has been working in comedy basically her entire career. She started as an intern at the Just for Laughs, the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal, which is the biggest comedy festival in the world. She left there to become a comedy manager. She moved to LA, and then uh, she moved later. Ended up moving to New York, where she worked at VH1, and she continued managing. And she works with certain clients like Wendy Liebman, Aaron Foley, and Gina Yashere. Yashere. Did I say that right? Yashere. Yashere. Guys, give it up for Jody Lieberman. Whoa! Don't recognize the Thank name on her so roster. <laughs> <laughs> when you get, 
Well, when you get older, you get sort of disembodied and remote. Well, because you don't because you don't remember Jody Lieberman's name. No, no, the, her my client. It's Wendy Liebman. Oh, did I say that wrong? Wendy. No, you didn't say it wrong. But people get us confused. Oh, oh can we confused? get you confused with whom? With Wendy Liebman. So Wendy's one of her clients. Wendy's we showed you her clip clients. earlier. Yeah. Wendy is super funny. You should check out her stuff. So are, are all of her clients. Uh, Somebody once introduced her at Just for Laughs as Wendy Lieberman because they were just talking to me. And they went, Wendy Lieberman. Oh, wow. I Actually, because I think when I was introducing your name, I almost did the same thing but the reverse. What was the reverse? Liebman, Lieberman, Jewish names, they all lump together. It's really tough. We're very, it's very close. It's a good thing you're a Jew because anybody, a Goy saying that would be offensive. Yeah, well. <laughs> I will say it. <laughs> but that's my gift. That's a gift that us Jews have is that we can make fun of ourselves. Do we have somebody who isn't a Jew here? We do. Maggie, aren't you not? And some, <laughs> not many Korean only, Jews. Only the, ones, only the ones Only the ones on the microphone are Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Jews were born to talk into a microphone. I don't know why. We're just born to talk. <laughs> just, yeah, we got so many problems. If they converted, could they have a mic? Yes. Are you ready? They would have to convert. That's yes, a long process. <laughs> I don't know the process, but I know it exists. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get more people to convert and get on our podcast. But Jody, I have a bunch of questions for you because your life is very interesting. You've taken an amazingly interesting course you grew up in Canada. What was it like there? What was your childhood like growing up there? Um, I had a very normal childhood, at least I think normal. It's a typical Jewish upbringing. Um, lived in the suburbs, went to a Jewish private school. Um, you know, have my friends since I've been three. We all grew up together, went to nursery school and elementary, high school, university. And uh, a lot of my friends have stayed in Montreal. A lot of them have moved to Toronto and other cities. And, uh, you know, had my parents, they were together and still are. And, uh, <laughs> well, lucky you. Just Clara. Oh. And I had one brother and, you was know. Was he older than you? He was younger than me. Or he is younger than me. He still is. He still is younger than me. Although I pretend he is my older brother because he takes care of me now. Oh. Well, that's what that's... happens when you become a trauma surgeon. A trauma surgeon? Your brother's a trauma surgeon? My brother's surgeon? a trauma surgeon. Oh, God. In Florida. In Miami. <laughs> but so you're in New York. I'm in New York. But her yes. brother is a trauma surgeon. Home of the bath salts. Isn't that where the... He was in the operating room. During, during that, that. that infamous yes. bath salt? Yes. Where the guy yes. ate someone's face? Face off. <laughs> he was I in the operating the whole room. episode. Oh, well, Dev, you've tried bath salts, right? You know what I'm no, talking about. I don't about. know what... <laughs> <laughs> well, they're basically, they're like... It's like a crazy drug. drug. I, I don't it's even drug. know how to this, describe it. This guy got on them and did them and went lost his mind went crazy and basically ate a homeless guy's face that's like the gist of the story <laughs> and deb how does that make you feel a state of shock that that could happen yeah, yeah. And the, and it was, pretty, it was that, pretty shocking that salts are a hell of a drug whose face he he ate was dead already no he lived he lived with the neat they, well, the, he was in the operating room for a very long time, and my brother was in the operating room. Apparently, one of his eyes was missing. Oh, my God. Oh, God. We, we could use a video of that. <laughs> I don't know. My brother probably has pictures. All right. We may have but I think we'll, we'll let that go. Brother. We'll have to get your brother on this podcast one time. But that is unbelievable. So your brother, younger, but he's now working. Didn't, uh, did you always want to be in comedy? 
I I didn't actually. I wanted to work in entertainment and I actually wanted to work in children's TV. I thought I could spread, you know, educate the youth with entertainment and that's really what I wanted to do. That was my passion growing up. What However, derailed you? I was always I always loved sitcoms. I used to watch sitcoms. I used to, my TV was always on when I studied as a kid. Um, I used to love all those bad 80s sitcoms. <laughs> Any in um, particular? Pardon? Any in particular? Um, you know, the different strokes and the facts of life <laughs> and Three's Company and Too Close for Comfort and, you know. I missed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you can still watch it. was a long time ago. And no, you were, I never you saw You were them. young. What, Give me what? a break with Nell Carter. <laughs> Oh, well, Different Strokes is the only one of those that I actually watch, but I can relate to you to some degree. It's no all good stuff. So, so something else. So I, I grew up with that, and I always – I think I'm a people person, and I like – I always thought it was fun to work on a set. I always thought, oh, wow, look at all these people working together to pull something together, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. I guess I had those producer skills in me from a kid, you know, from a young being a young child and, you know, doing school projects and – working together with people. So that's kind of what I wanted to do and how I got derailed from children's TV. I was working at a production company, a children's TV production company in Montreal, but I had worked at Just for Laughs. I was interning there and somebody called me and offered me a full-time job after interning there for three summers. But I fell into Just for Laughs because I wanted to be working. I wanted to do an internship. There was no internships in Montreal at the time. And somebody, one of my mother's friend's daughter knew the CEO of Just for Laughs at the time. And I went in to go meet with him. And that was... And the rest is history. The rest is history, basically. (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. I heard somewhere, didn't you used to want to be a doctor? Didn't you get into science? I did. And then my brother became the doctor. (laughs) I was a science... I loved sciences and science courses when I was a kid and a student and... I did um, a hospital program in my last year of high school, and we went into the hospital one day a week. It was called Hops, and um, that kind of turned me off from wanting to be a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because there was just an article on Facebook about Hops and about all these people that participated in the program when they were in grade 11. That was our last year of high school, and that they've all became doctors. And I was like, oh, that's what made me not want to become a doctor. (laughs) Did so you ever think of yourself as derailed? No. Okay. Not derailed. Dev seems, Dev seems to think so. <laughs> <laughs> what do your parents think of this comedy business? But that's that's like the typical, you know, Jewish mom wanting your kids to be doctors. And my parents did support me when I left sciences and went into, you know, business and then eventually went into communications. But I don't think it was derailed. What did you do with it? Where did how did you go into communications? Well, I studied it in university. It's a subject? Mm-hmm. I studied film and TV and radio, and we did little projects and studied the theory behind, you know, editing and advertising and marketing and PR. Sounds fascinating. Uh, could any of that material be lent out? Sure. But a lot of stuff that you learn in school, it's all about being on the job and having that practical experience. So you can learn as much theory as you want, but then it's taking that theory and actually applying it. So I feel my education has been in the last two decades of working in the entertainment business. 
And you're still there. I'm still here. Yeah. I'm still surviving. But I wanted to talk as you were in Montreal, and then you moved to New York. How old were you when you moved to New York? I moved to New York right after, actually, well, I, moved, I lived here twice. So I lived here once for a summer when I did an internship. It was my, I guess, my second or third year of university. I came down to New York. I was, I wanted to work in the business. I was so gung-ho. And I was like, I'm going to go do an internship at NYU and have access to their books. This is pre-internet days. <laughs> and uh, I interned at Sally Jesse Raphael, the talk show. Oh, yeah. And at Reading Rainbow, which was a children's show with LeVar Burton. So at that point in my... You were already... You made it at I that point. kind of got the polar opposite of the entertainment business. I had... I worked at one company where it was like kit gloves that went into the production of every episode of this children's show versus Sally Jesse Raphael, which was, you know, a daytime talk show trying to get the most exotic and crazy guests possible <laughs> to, you know, boost their ratings. So it was really kind of seeing that dichotomy of entertainment, one being so, you know, proper and you know, educating the youth of t- uh, the youth of today and the you know children, <laughs> and the others like kind of schlocky. So it was a great experience <laughs> that I got to. Uh, what did you enjoy more? That I got to see both. I actually really loved the re- Reading Rainbow. I mean, the people that worked there were great, and they were trying to produce. Not trying, they did produce great TV. I mean, it was really. I mean, it was on for years and years and years. They won tons of awards. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and Sally Jesse, Sally Jesse Raphael was very fun and, you know, what did you do learned, for her? Or for I them? did everything. I mean, I was an intern at the time. So I did actually, one of the f- most fun jobs during my time there was actually working on the 1-800 line. They used to do episodes <laughs> and then at the end of the episodes they would have, if your brother or sister slept with your aunt's nephew's son, call <laughs> us at... 1-800 and then I would be on the other end and we'd have these like crazy people calling us to tell us their stories and I would take notes and then bring it to the producer. <laughs> Are there any stories in particular you remember? Well, I just remember being called once where there was a person that was on the show and she, I don't remember what her story was, but it wasn't a great story and they promised that they would hide her identity and they didn't and people recognized her and she called. Was she a famous person? No, she wasn't a famous person, but something happened with her kid or something. I don't remember the exact story. And they said, oh, they promised they would protect my identity. And no, they're not. And maybe it was her ex-husband that was coming after her. And she was really petrified. And she kept calling the line to try to get help. And, you know. Did she get nobody, money? No, no. Nobody got paid to do those shows. <laughs> Just not that I knew of. Desperate attention. Yeah. So it was it was a great learning experience, and I also worked, you know, audience coordination, and I met some of the guests. You know, I do remember once it was like um, teenage pregnancy, so there was this woman who was like eighteen there with her, you know, four year old daughter, and you know it was kind of interesting. And her mom was there with her, and she was basically she got knocked up at high in high school and had this kid, and you know it was kind of interesting just seeing. You know, I, I was her age, basically. I was maybe a little bit older. And, you know, this girl or kid basically had a kid. So it was just interesting seeing different people, different Why walks of life. Why does someone go on a show, talk about personal life, unless I assume there's no money. They just want attention to get their story mm-hmm. out. They maybe want- to help others. Well, that helps with the 
just if just it depends that what the builds on is. the wanting attention about yeah yeah clearly you never watched Jerry Springer but uh, yeah that's I don't know him at all oh it's there's like a whole group of these kind there was, of shows. it was all like does, the does 90s like the late 80s early 90s where there was all these talk shows it was just one after the other yeah when I was sick from school I was like well thank God for this because after <laughs> the Price is Right I've got nothing <laughs> so. press your luck. No oh. whammies. <laughs> yeah, I loved – I watched the game show network pretty religiously too. But yeah, I think Maury Povich is still going. So he basically does paternity tests on TV. It's great television, what is, Dev. What is paternity tests Or maternity. On t- I don't know. What's the word? Maternity? Paternity? Paternity. paternity? Usually that you know that the mother is the mother. It's the father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I say dumb things. Uh, that's life. <laughs> Maybe I should go on one of those shows. <laughs> no, it's all good, Jeremy. <laughs> Okay, so you're basically living the dream, fielding these questions from psychopaths. Oh, well, I never actually finished my other. So I interned that summer, and then I went back when I graduated. I came back to New York, and I lived here for nine months, and I worked at a management company, at a talent management company. Nine months you were pregnant. I was not pregnant. <laughs> no, 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 no child <laughs> came out of me after nine months of living in New York. <laughs> I was a good it girl here. It takes at least 12 in this city to have a kid. Come on. <laughs> uh, well, I want to before we get into that part, I do want to talk about so you were in New York, and then you got that opportunity, you said, a phone call to go intern at JFL, right? And then I was – yeah, I interned at Just for Laughs. And I you told me – and I, not to interrupt, but you told me one time that you said you would never work for Just for Laughs. So the summer that I was interning, working at Reading Rainbow and, um, and Sally Just Raphael, a friend of mine came with me, and she was interning at the PR company that was doing the – PR for Just for Laughs in the States. And I remember this, we were walking along 57th and 7th, and I said to her, I would never work at Just for Laughs. Like, what do they do all year for a 10-day, at the time it was a 10-day festival. And I really ate those words later on. (laughs) It became basically your whole life. It became my life. It really did. I mean, we can get into it later, but Just for Laughs was pretty much the stepping stone and the foundation of my career. Yeah. Did you know about Just for Laughs as a kid? Was it around when you were a kid in Canada? It it was around, but I you know spent my summers at camp and traveling. So when I was old enough to attend, you know, I hadn't really been in the summer for five years prior, and you know, I was I think twenty three when I started working there. So I didn't really know what the festival was. I knew that there was a big comedy festival in Montreal, but I wasn't really aware of the scope of it. You know, I didn't even know what an accreditation card was when I started working there. I don't I know like, what an accreditation card is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what an accreditation is. It's to accredit you so that you can come into the festival. So, you know, if you're It's a, a legal entry pass. It's a pass something. basically to whether you're an artist or an industry or the media. So <laughs> So this is great. So you're <laughs> you want to be like in family television, then you want to be a doctor, then you get on No, I want to be a doctor first. Then well, I want to be in family TV. Okay, then you want to be then, in family TV. And then I wound up in comedy. And you didn't even like cuz there's actually like a surprisingly amazing comedy scene in Canada. And a lot of huge names have come out of Canada. Were any of those people influences on no. you as a kid? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't one of those kids that watched stand up. I didn't really understand the stand up process. You know, I went to the local Montreal comedy clubs maybe once or twice a year or something to do on a Saturday night with my friends. And I literally thought it was just people getting up on stage and being funny. I didn't realize there was a whole process behind that. And when I started to work at Just for Laughs, I started to realize the art form of stand-up comedy and the process of it. And that's what fascinated me, that one person can get up and do a set 
in front of one audience and get huge laughs and can go in front of another audience and get no laughs. And what is that, you know, why does that happen? Like, what's the psychology behind that? What explains the big laughs when no laughs follow? Right, exactly. And it was it was just interesting also to see how hard these comics worked and how they were constantly, you know, coming up with new jokes and writing jokes and putting a word somewhere else that made the joke that much more strong and funny. And it's really being a wordsmith. Hmm. There's no scientific method to comedy. That's the problem. There's no one right way to do comedy. But something in exactly. that stage develops alternate ways and writes about it so that people have a, an appreciation that, that there's journeys involved in what the nature of the journeys are. Yes, but, you know, growing up, I didn't have that appreciation for the art of stand-up. I didn't understand really what it was. So and now you're working at this festival all the time. Were there any comics in particular that you remember meeting or seeing or really liking? Well, I remember my first year there seeing Bobby Slayton, who just, you know, impressed me. I remember, you know, I was working like, 100 hours a week and I was exhausted and running around. My boss was working us to the bones. And I remember it was like a midnight show and I went to go sit there and I was like falling asleep and Bobby Slayton came on and just like wowed me. Like, you know, with his fast talking and getting the audience going and his jokes. And I just remember being, wow, he's really funny. You know, but he wasn't a household name. And that year, um, Kelsey Grammer was at the festival and Brett Butler, they were doing a special for Showtime because they both had successful shows that were on. Um, I remember um, George Wallace was there. Hmm. I, th- I even think one of my clients that I work with now was there that first year, Wendy Liebman. Oh, Wendy was there back then? I think then? she was back there, yeah. yeah. This is like mid-90s, right? It mid-90s. It was kind of a heyday for the festival, wasn't it? It was. It was the like festival was up. definitely, you know, it was definitely growing at the time. Um, it was a place to discover talent, truly there, discover is, talent. Is there something like that in New York where we could watch and enter? Well, there's the New York Comedy Festival. And, I mean, New York comedy, New York is, the in hub. my opinion, the best hub of stand-up comedy in the world. It is. I mean, for me, I've, I with Just for Laughs, you know, my many years of working there, I traveled around the world scouting talent i mean i went everywhere i went to the uk i went all over the states i went in canada i went to australia and by far new york used to be the best place to come and showcase the audiences were into comedy um the comics were into it you know it was just a really good place and a lot of comics have asked me do i go to la do i go to new york and i was like if you really want to hone your skills go to new york first and really work it there's so many comedy clubs it's easier to get stage time here. The audiences are real people. So you have so much tourism in New York as well. So if you go to clubs, you know, you have people from middle America and from all over the world, you know, and if you can connect with people internationally and be funny, I think you have something, you know. 100%. Do we have anything we're developing here that can advance in this world? Well, they actually do podcasts at the JFL at JFL now. Maybe you guys will. So maybe one day we'll we enter get, you. We'll enter we'll, the yeah, young well, and the weary. We got Jody on our side. Maybe she can. Uh, <laughs> I'll pull some strings. She can pull some strings for us. Because there isn't a lot of time for me because I get wearier. So it's. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Way to use wait, the title there, Dev. That was great. So when when you get older and wearier. 
then time is an issue. Well, we got to get you to Montreal soon. <laughs> the Maybe time. this summer. Maybe this summer. Really? Well, we'll I'm see. willing. You never know, Dev. You never know in this world. I'm not sure. Well, at this age, and you never know. No, you don't know. You never know. Did you think last year in this time you'd be sitting with Jeremy and doing a podcast? No, not. I don't. I don't even remember last year. So it's (laughs) the moral of the story is you're you're pretty lucky, Dev. You are pretty lucky. I don't think you're lucky when your memory leaves you because that's why you replace it with humor. You don't know what to do with (laughs) with. Deb, you're pretty incredible and amazing, I have to say. I'm delighted. I, I'll, I'll go anywhere you support me. <laughs> I'll support you. I mean, I, I want to be as active and as spry and as open-minded as you are when I'm in my late 80s. I'm, I'm so impressed of being a model that I... That, <laughs> you're a firecracker, Deb. <laughs> See, did you think that last year or two months ago or three months ago that you'd be a role model for... We're talking to Jay Liebs. <laughs> she used to run, basically ran the ju- Just for Laughs, the entire festival. Oh. <laughs> life is more... Life is this bit of luck, you know, that... And... Uh, it's a lot of luck. So as your brain is going, then your humor takes over. I we wish there was some kind of a surgical... Assist. Don't bring up lobotomies again. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, boy. We are regressing. And I will talk to Jody now. Uh, <laughs> and so, in two th- uh, so the festival was going really well in the 90s, getting big names, the biggest in comedy. Uh, John Stewart was there. Oh. Um, then in the 2000s, there was like, I, was, I was told there was like a little bit of a slump. What was there was the- a little bit of a lull in, in the early 2000s when reality TV started to you know, reality take over. Reality it, it competed. It did compete, and so what we started is to do... Is it competing with us? Well, I don't think it's competing with us right now. There's only a million other podcasts competing with us right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but there's no reality TV. We have a much more worthy adversary now. Um, yeah, so reality TV you know, started to take off, and you know, sitcoms weren't as popular as they were in the 80s and 90s. And um, so what we started to do was we felt that these comics were great hosts. Like Joe Rogan was hosting Fear Factor at the time. So we made a push to, you know, keep the festival alive and keep the industry coming to scout for talent that we made a huge push to go to all these reality production companies and the industry, the reality industry and agents and managers and say, hey, you know, you guys should come to the festival and scout talent because all these comics, they're great improvisers. They're funny. They could add a little, you know, kick to your reality show. So we tried to get the industry to come did through that, that segment. It did. It did. We did have a lot of industry coming that were scouting, you know, talent that wouldn't have been at the festival previous years because at that time, the industry that came were comedy development people, comedy casting people. They never really do they exist now? Out. Mm-hmm, they do. I mean, there's a lot of different facets of the industry now. So but. Yeah, and as a comic, that's one reason you want to go to JFL so badly is because if no one knows who you are, within by the end of this festival, if you make a name for yourself and have good performances, people, the people in the business know who you are, so you're on the radar. And now, the, now the, with the festival... We're not on the radar right now, are we? A blip. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're blipping. We're, we're blipping, blipping Dev. Um, you got to come in incognito, though. That's the best way to do it. I don't know how to do that anymore. You just follow our lead. You follow our lead. <laughs> but the Just for Laughs was really now, and I mean, it always has been all things comedy. It's just that the comedy 
space has expanded. You know, now there's podcasts, you know, people were able to go into reality TV and do hosting. You know, there were clip shows, there was panel shows. So it wasn't just stand-up comedy or sitcoms. And I think there's, I think that's why also comedy is more of a viable career than it was 25 years ago, that there's just more opportunities right now. Thank God for us. So even an opportunity for you. Exactly. Anyone Dev. can find oh, a space. Oh, wow. How do we... <laughs> Look, do- I just saw you on Broad City the other day. Oh, yeah, I sat there. I said... It was amazing. Things. It was so funny. She doesn't great. give herself credit. She gives me a hard time for me being too hard on myself. And then she puts everything she does down. I'm sorry to hold up that mirror on you, Dev. It doesn't reflect much, does it? Oh, come on. Uh, that's what we're going to... We, she By the end of these episodes, uh, we, she, we usually get her out of her hole. <laughs> well, Bruce also stopped letting us smoke weed, so I think that hindered the it process changed well. the climate. <laughs> Literally. Now, did he really stop that? Yeah, we got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> we all reverted into our nine-year-old selves, and we're like, we're sorry. Wait a second, though, but we have liquor in the house. <laughs> liquor is good. All Lick- right, booze it up. <laughs> liquor competes successfully with weed. It does. That's true. Should we just... I, for the next time we meet, I'll put a list of what we've got. Or I could bring out a <laughs> Why don't we just go bottle. raid your pantry Yeah, let's just now. take a break right now and go raid this cabinet. <laughs> so instead of going to the bathroom, you'll go to the liquor cabinet. That uh, makes more sense. <laughs> and then eventually the bathroom. <laughs> do, you, do you drink often? Is that your secret to longevity? I have a glass longevity? of wine with supper. Every night? Every night. And Bruce can't have liquor because of some medical something or other. But I haven't been told I've, I'm medically at risk. <laughs> well, then you're good to go. So maybe that's the secret, a glass of wine with dinner every glass, night. Oh. You know, Dev's got all the secrets. Uh, I want to go back to you, okay. though, because we're still in this JFL phase. And, like, you went from interning to running the festival. That, like, that's – I imagine that was a very stressful process when you were at the top of that. And what was, what was that experience like? It was crazy. Um, it was wonderful. It was crazy and wonderful at the same time. I always felt like I was this like little person in front of one of those like big steamrollers, just like running before I got like steamrolled over. <laughs> um, but it was really rewarding because it was, you know, taking you know every August, September. You know, the festival had just ended. The festival's in July for those of you that don't know. So every August we would you know wrap up the festival and then we would start in September, really building it up and looking and figuring out our programming, figuring out our venues figuring out our special events, you know, what was going on, what was trending in the comedy world, what could we do different to Tremendous. to bring in a different audience and to keep it exciting and fresh. And so it was really rewarding to see every July something that you start, you know, it's like a you building block something and, and puzzles, exactly, yeah. that you're just building it all up. And so that to me was the greatest where I could, you know, sit back at the end of well, not sick back, but look at it objectively at the end of, you know, in July when the festival was happening and walk into a venue and have 2,000 people sitting there watching a show that I created and booked and Terrific. put together huh. and and everyone's sitting there and laughing and having a good time, you know, so that was really rewarding. Does and it still exists? It does. And yeah. um, it's every July. That's why we're going to bring you up. Oh, I'd love it. I'm a seriously mobile. <laughs> Did anything ever go horribly wrong? Oh, things would... I, I was like a superhero. I was like P.S., problem solver. I mean, one... Well, when things go wrong, it's the root of comedy. 
That is true, yeah, but not it, necessarily in this not situation. Not always. I mean, we had some people get stopped at the border and not be able to come in. We had a gala. Oh, wow. Any big because, names? Because of criminal history. Exactly. Ryan, one, oh. something that I would not want to talk about. Oh, because of criminal history. <laughs> oh, um, I think we could build on that. Uh, one time we had a, it was Carson Cressley who was hosting one of our galas. He was coming from New York. There was an electrical storm here and the flights weren't taking off. So we didn't have him as our gala host that night. And our galas are, the, it was like the big show of the, of the, of the festival. So we had to do some improvisation and put in another like host. Um, there was all these things that happened, you know, from like small little things or... They're wonderful challenges. It, they were. Because the world opens up. But it, it also allowed me personally to realize that you could solve anything. You know, like I almost did. I almost had, you know, you had to be creative about things. I mean, I had to convert a hotel room that was a one-bedroom hotel room with a living room into a two-bedroom hotel room. And I worked all night with the hotel staff to convert this bedroom. And right as we finished bringing, like taking at the dining room table, putting in two beds, we looked over at the window and the blinds didn't close all the way. <laughs> but nobody noticed it and it was all good. You made it. You made it. You so made it, through. it was all these little problems that you would never think about, you know, from getting, I mean, it was like a these big challenges moving. that you can salvage. Yeah, there were, it was a big, it was, a lot of moving parts and you just had to be aware of that you know you had to make sure all your artists were getting to the venues on time and and then you had the public complaining about tickets or seats or this or that so like everything was coming to me you know I used to get hundreds and thousands of emails you know just well you yeah. had an assistant I did I did and I had a team I had a programming team so. gotta have a team it's the most yeah. important part yeah so I'm grateful for my team love you Sunky and Maggie <laughs> All right, so back the festival's grown over time in large part to your hard work, um, and now there is unrepped shows. So there's two types there's of shows. What shows? There's repped shows where if you have a manager, you get in through that 100%. way and you but do a live audition. But it's very just to clarify that it's basically new faces. So it's just one series out of the many shows that are yeah at the yeah festival. for for the new faces, faces right. for like comics trying to break in. Uh, to the comedy scene, there's two shows. There's the unrepped and the repped. But that started just recently, so I was not at the festival. Exactly. Are you a rep? I'm now a rep. Now she is I'm now, now a rep. a talent manager. So, but my question is, because I know a lot of comics who don't have managers or have dropped their managers because they didn't get in the regular way, so they thought they could bypass the system right. by going repped. What is, is it better for establishing career momentum as far as doing the festival, not just to do it, but getting real opportunities afterwards, is it better for you to do that with a rep or can you do it just as easily through the unrepped show? I, I actually think that, and this is my personal opinion, I just think it's better to do it with a rep, that you have somebody to back you. Um, if someone's unwrapped, that means usually... And how it started was that they were really green. They were really just starting off. They were, you know, too green, too new to really have a representation or a manager or an agent. Um, but that makes sense in the beginning. It isn't right. necessarily a deficit. It's, it's, it's a, not a deficit. It qualifies but, what the beginning is. But Jeremy was just asking me if it's better to go into the festival with a manager, with some representation, or being unwrapped. 
And I think people go to the unwrapped shows knowing that these people are so green and young that there's really nothing to do with them at the moment. Um, I could be wrong, but I didn't hear of any like major. Yeah, some people coming out of Unwrapped have been signed, and some have gone on to do great things. Um, I think there's a couple of examples of that, um, but it's taken years. So, you know, I don't think comics should go around dropping their managers to try to bypass the yeah. system. To get in under it's this thing. Unwrapped. It's this thing as a comic where instead of thinking big picture, it's like with social media, it's so easy to be like, well, if I get this, then I can like tell everyone about it and it's going to open so many doors for me. And but it's, why doesn't it? Well, it can. It can. I it, mean, it, it doesn't at this point because they're young, they're green, and also the, the way the business works has changed over the last couple of years. Um, you know... When I was at the festival, it was really about discovering talent. Um, people didn't know the people we were bringing to Just for Laughs. We used to do extensive research around the world. And we didn't really have the internet where you can go on and Google somebody, know what they look like, know their performance style, watch a mm-hmm. clip. Um, you know, So that's really changed the festival a lot. And that's why I think the festival has expanded and has brought in podcasts and kind of all things – comedy now it's not just about stand-up only you know um so i think that has definitely changed um you know when i was working at vh1 as you know a comedy development vh1 it's it's a network it's a part of the mtv family Mm. um i was doing some comedy talent development over there wow as an executive it was my job to know all these young comics so if I'm doing my job, I go to Just for Laughs, I know all these comics, and I'm actually just seeing them perform in that setting. But most agents, executives, managers, you know, should know these people if they're really doing their job. 100%. I imagine it's gotten much easier to go through tapes now. Like, didn't you used to have to go through physical we VHS tapes? We used to get tapes? VHS tapes. We had this closet that went from the floor to the ceiling. <laughs> Stacked with tapes, and we used to log every tape, and we used to have screening meetings every Tuesday night. My team and myself, we'd order in dinner and just plow through a bunch of tapes, and we used to try to watch every tape that we got. And then, towards you know my end of my time at Just for Laughs, we started getting DVDs and links. You know, YouTube was just starting in two thousand four, two thousand five, so it was like, oh, this is so cool. We can get <laughs> links. We don't have to like store all these VHS tapes. I am so dating myself right now. <laughs> so you're not part of that world anymore? I'm part of the comedy world, but I don't I don't work at the festival anymore. I haven't worked there for a few years now. She moved on. So She's... I moved on. I decided to Where did you go after the festival? So I went to become a talent manager because um what happened was I was finding all this amazing talent around the world and I was bringing them to Just for Laughs and I was giving them the opportunity to perform on a Just for Laughs stage and then all these other managers and agents would come and start signing all these pieces of talent and go back to the States or wherever and develop with them and work with them. And I was like, wait, I just found this person in Australia. I know he's super talented. I want to work with him. I want to have that personal relationship. I want to help him develop his career. Well, that does it for part one of our episode with the lovely Jody Lieberman. So much more to talk about, guys. We're going to dive into the ins and outs of what it's like to be a manager in L.A. and New York. Get excited because Jody's the best. She has so much more to tell us and teach us. 
And uh, Dev has some funny things to say along the way. So tune into part two. It's already up on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya, wherever. It's there. Check it out. And uh, guys, get ready for more of the lovely Jody Lieberman.